HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a hospitality platform that empowers restaurants through their own website. With Bento Box, you get every restaurant website feature you need and more, all in one place. Opening soon listeners get 50% off their new website setup fee at getbento.com slash opening soon. That's G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash opening soon. This week on a special Valentine's Day edition of Meet and 3, we put a twist on the lovey-dovey holiday. The mission statement is save the world through silliness and chocolate, and in parentheses, launch a chocolate bar into outer space. But I'm having um, some conflict on the board members with the parentheses. That's okay. He cited that in his area there used to be 30 dairy farms and now there are three. You know, dessert was political, and what you had on the dessert table said more about you than other markers of success. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news and storytelling roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Opening a restaurant is like losing your virginity. It's scary, and you're definitely going to make mistakes. But with enough practice, you can learn to make it pleasurable for yourself and others. That quote comes from Gabriel Rucker, James Beard Award-winning chef and founder of Le Pigeon and Canard in Portland, Oregon. And this is Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Alex McCreary. And I'm your host, Jenny Goodman. Welcome to Season 3 of Opening Soon, Episode 31. We're knee-deep in the new format, which if you've missed the last couple of episodes, we're focusing our content only on startup projects, actively driving towards an opening. We'll be chatting before and after a milestone moment to hear the preparation and later, of course, get the skinny on how it all went down. When it comes to new restaurant lease, everything is a negotiation. Your terms presented at signing have the power to dramatically shape your business, whether as a tenant improvements, term lengths, concessions, back out clauses for permit approvals, and more. It is not a decision to made to be made quickly or alone. Today's guests are Tracy Malachek and our job Ezekiel of Birdies in Austin, a forthcoming neighborhood cafe on the east side of Austin, Texas. Tracy and our job have an, an impressive roster 
of experience, including Del Posto, Gramercy Tavern, Blue Hill, and Untitled. And the last time we spoke with them, they were in negotiations on their fifth space of a serious potential. So let's take a listen to our conversation from January. Tell us, guys, where you're currently at with your lease negotiations. Um, sure. So um, just to kind of back up a little bit, we've been uh, looking at leases now for just over a year. So we've negotiated at least four different leases. We just started um, negotiating a new one. Um, a little bit different this time in part because they're a mom and uh, pop landlord. So uh, the gentleman's just like a Baptist minister and uh, we're looking at a space that he owns. Um, we just started the process, and uh, we just got through the asbestos certification. So in Austin, and I'm sure this is true in most markets, um, you do need like a, a some sort of certification that there's no asbestos in the building, or the asbestos has been abated uh, before you can even file for a building permit. So mm. we're just beginning that process, uh, and are going to have a conversation with them this week about the general terms. But uh, we are in alignment. Uh, generally speaking, wouldn't you say, Tracy, about uh, what the terms of the lease are going to be? Yeah, I mean, we received a a base lease that's rough, so we kind of have an idea of what the rent is and what the terms can be. So since that is enticing to us, we're definitely moving forward and really hopeful about this space. Um, these landlords that we're working with right now are kind of linear, like they want to get the asbestos report done first and then continue on with these discussions. So who pays for the asbestos assessment? Pretty much for is that, do you, is that sorry, something, sorry, is, is the asbestos inspection, is that something you guys had to organize or who pays for that if they've been actively trying to, you know, I would, I would imagine they would just sort of have a certification or is that something you have, you've gone yes. through? Right. So I think what um, we've realized is that there's ways to get around that. But if you want to build stuff to code now, like the code has changed so much in the last few years that a lot of these landlords don't have it. Interesting. Um, it's not that big of a deal from what we've, like we've talked to our general contractor, every school, uh, every house essentially has it if it's built before a certain time. So um, it's not that expensive of, of a process, but the landlord is paying uh, for the asbestos uh, certification. You know, one of the things just from a high level, I think Tracy and I, as we think through leases, is that, you know, there's a limit to what we're willing to pay for, especially if we don't have a lease signed. So I think it's important for us to to note that, you know, the improvements to a building at the end of the day, if worst case scenario, we don't end up in that space in 10 years, all those improvements belong to the landlord. So right. we're very judicious and thoughtful, I think, about how we approach those conversations with the landlord uh, about who's paying for what. Tell us a little bit. You said that you've been doing this for about oh, yeah. a year, and this is space number five, is that correct? Or number four? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about some of the five. the failures of the first four and why why you're still here at number five, look, still looking for Lucky space. Lucky number five. I feel good about this one for you. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think like for us, um, you know, one of the things that I think it's a learning game, right? You learn a little bit uh, with each lease, become more familiar with the language. Um, I think the things that have kind of, at least for the first two that we walked away was not adequate parking. Um, we thought we would be given more parking spaces than uh, the landlord uh, was willing to, to give away. And that didn't come to the fore until we were at the last part of the lease negotiation. 
Um, the other two, I think we were promised a lot of things verbally uh, by the landlord, but when it came time to put those things to paper, um, the landlord um, wasn't as amenable to putting it on paper. It was more of a handshake deal, and um, I think the lesson we've learned about uh, this process from just the community we've kind of relied on as we've gone through this process is uh, don't trust anything unless it's on a piece of paper. Right, Trace? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I agree. Um, I think all of those things, plus also getting into a potential space that we love and saying, can we make this work financially? So maybe the location's great. Maybe the space is cool. But what we also have liked to do in this process is get in touch with the GC we might potentially work with and an architect and kind of run through what needs to happen to make this space happen um, for our vision. And if we can't afford that, then we know right away we have to walk away. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. And we had Missy Robbins on season one, and she talked about having like her contractor and her designer actually go with her to the spaces. So is that something you've done with the previous spaces? And have you had somebody look at the space yet? Yeah, so we have. So I think like, you know, we've done that since the very beginning. Um, a good friend of us, uh, ours, Akira Akuto, who owns Combi in LA, has been sort of like our mentor through this uh, process. And he... Uh, very early on said that this process will take you two years, uh, but make sure that every space you look at, you have um, an architect and a general contractor give you a sense as to what the potential hurdles are going to be, um, especially because, you know, Tracy and I have made a concerted effort to do this on an incredibly tight budget. Uh, but to make things work on an incredibly tight budget, we need to have the, the right space. So uh, we have not entertained a single space without the help of a general contractor uh, and an architect. And we've done the same thing on the space we're currently looking at. Um, and because this is a second generation restaurant space that we're looking at now, um, the chances of us being able to do this on budget uh, go up exponentially, I think. Uh, we've learned the lessons of people who have uh, done this uh, before us and who we've kind of relied on uh, through this process who've said, uh, if you don't have a clear sense as to what you're getting into, you're going to run into trouble. And there's certainly things that are going to continue to pop up, but we are trying to mitigate those risks as much as possible. Right. Um, obviously, there's you know certain things that need to exist in the lease and in the space to make your business make sense. How, how important do you feel like now, you know, seeing a bunch of spaces is the, just the dynamic and the relationship between you and the landlord? I think it's extremely important to make sure you have a good vibe or a great working relationship with them. I think if your gut tells you right away, this might not be a great person probably turn around. That's something we've learned. Um, also kind of learning what motivates that landlord because it's different with every different landlord. So for example, we've worked with bigger companies that have tight financial objectives. And then right now we're talking to a mom and pop landlord that are more about their community, putting in a concept that works in that pocket of town for them and what they feel good about just as people. Right. So I think really understanding the landlord is important and figuring out kind of where to take it from there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's- Yeah, and just to- Oh, go ahead. 
Uh, I was just going to add that I think one of the things that you know is important in conjunction with that is the math. So I think we we trust our gut with the relationship, but then we back up everything we do with the math. Uh, and I think if um, the rent, no matter what location it is, if the rent, uh, and we do everything uh, with rent on a per square foot basis, because I think you really understand um, like what value you're getting out of the lease. Um, if that math equation between how much money we're putting in the rent and the length of the lease don't make sense, um, then I think we uh, very early on know that we need to walk away. And I think the length of the lease is actually one of the most important parts uh, of the equation, because if you're going to put in uh, you know, money into a space, you want enough runway to be able to pay back not just your investors, but also have a return on the investment. What kind of lease term are you guys looking at? Um, we don't entertain anything less than 10 years, but uh, the lease that we're currently entertaining is a 10-year lease with two five-year options, which uh, essentially leaves us there for 20 years, um, which has tremendous value even in the lease itself. So right. um, that is kind of where we're starting with right now, and that's one of the lessons I think we learned from uh, Union Square Cafe. You know, I think what Union Square Cafe did uh, in New York and kind of built the community around them. They were at least there long enough in that neighborhood to enjoy the the perks of what they did to that neighborhood before they had to move on. Yeah, are you looking at like an underserved neighborhood right now? Or are you sort of, is it, you know, what how, how much has neighborhood played a part in where you're looking and all those kind of things? Um, right now we're looking at a neighborhood that's kind of up and coming, but there's a lot of, um, residential um it's a residential pocket um but it's 10 minutes from a lot of great neighborhoods so it's accessible even though it's not super saturated yeah i think what we're like really um in tune with is the fact that like our general thesis behind our restaurant was every great neighborhood deserves a great neighborhood cafe, right? I think that is the wonderful thing about our concept is that you can actually drop it in to a neighborhood that is underserved and uh, you're not a destination restaurant as much as you are there to serve the neighborhood. So to answer your question directly, yes, we are looking at neighborhoods that are uh, underserved uh, because the math equation for us is lower rent gives us more runway to really become part of a neighborhood. Um, so part of our marketing camp, you know, strategy once we move in will be to knock on doors and uh, introduce ourselves as a couple to uh, the residents of the neighborhood uh, to make sure that we really feel part of that community. I love it. I love it. Have, have you guys, so you, have you looked all over Austin or is there, did you find, you know, a couple of spots that you feel like fit this bill and you're sticking to that? And, and in doing so, has your concepts of the style of what you're planning to do changed at all based on on the spaces you've seen yeah i think that's a really good question actually i think when we first moved to austin we thought we were going to do sort of like a, a fine dining italian concept um, and i think once we parachuted in here i think we realized <laughs> very quickly that for us the place that we want to eat the most is a place in our neighborhood that we can get a great cup of coffee maybe a great glass of wine uh, and eat something that's well thought out but affordable. Um, I think to that end, I think our concept kind of shifted towards the cafe from sort of like a high-end um, restaurant. And, you know, I think it's funny when we first started this process, our brokers would say, what pocket of the city do you want to be in? And we would say, we want to be, you know, on South First, or we want to be on the East Side. And I think 
the longer we've gone through this process, our number one answer is we're agnostic. We just want a restaurant space uh, <laughs> that works. So um, I think there's an evolution uh, to the process, and I think that that is very closely tied to an evolution um, as you know, for Tracy and myself, as we've kind of grown as entrepreneurs and understood the market a little bit more, I think being able to be nimble and flexible is the number one thing uh, that we've had to learn. Right. Take us back a little bit to um, the actual lease negotiation itself that you're currently in. How much are are the landlords interviewing you? What are they looking for in terms of financials and in your plan and um, credit checks and all those kind of things, and your investors. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So pretty much, you know, they asked where we worked and what kind of experience we brought to the table. So we've shared our deck, um, our resumes, and since we've worked in New York and for our job in D.C., they don't really know the restaurant, so we've really encouraged them to research those restaurants and get to know them and understand, you know, the training we have so they can have space and what we're doing in their space. Yeah, I think like the execution part of that is like hard on them. They've had some bad luck with uh, the kind of tenants that have gone in there. So, you know, there is an interview process. Um, this time more than any other time, I think they're trying to understand who we are, uh, what we're trying to do with the space. Um, so we got a text message from them yesterday. They were like, make sure you have good food. Like, if you don't have good food, one bad customer experience will, uh, will set you back. That's uh, good they told and, you that. That's you know, good they told you I'm to worry. I'm sure you hadn't thought about that <laughs> yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, guys, we have we're on been it. doing this for a long time. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, I think part of that process is, like, understanding, again, it's like goes back to a certain amount of empathy, understanding, like Tracy always is, you know, when I get frustrated by those moments, Tracy will remind me, hey, like, they've had bad luck sure. uh, in the past. We just have to hold their hands a little bit more and move them through this process. Um, I think the one thing that I'll add is that as far as the financial stuff goes, our advice and the, the advice that we've been given is to hold those cards as close to your chest as possible. The more they know about like how capitalized you are, uh, exactly what your check averages need to be, uh, what your cogs are going to look like, the more likely they are to uh, fudge with the rent numbers. So um, be cautious about oversharing. Share conceptually. We have so two different decks, one that we send out to landlords, one that we send out to investors. And they look differently because they're marketing to different audiences. And I think that part has been beneficial to us because I think you know, landlords want to be able to visualize things. They're not like operators. They don't necessarily have a creative vision for this space, and they like to be able to have a sense as to what it is that is going to go into uh, their property. Um, so, you know, using photos and um, using, you know, the right sort of verbiage to convey our message has been important. That's interesting that they haven't pushed you harder for, like, your pro formas and, you know, all the the deep dive into the financials, but I mean, that's it. You're right. You are marketing to do different people. So I mean, that's, a, it's an interesting strategy. It's a good one too, I think. Do you guys have a, um, do you have a lawyer I, helping you through this process or someone that's going to the lease negotiation with you previously or somebody that you have for the next meetings or? So since we've done this a few times, um, we, we haven't used a lawyer yet. Our strategy, since we are in a tight budget is to lean on our, real estate uh, resources 
So, for example, my mom works in construction and with a company that does a lot of lease negotiations. So we ask her a lot of questions. Uh, my dad is a real estate attorney, so we'll call him and ask him random questions. And then whenever we feel like we're getting close to a lease, we'll bring in an attorney here in Austin to work with us through that process. But we like to get the lease to the best place it can be on our own before we're wasting an, an attorney's time and a lot of money. So we try to stay really budget conscious, but strategic about that. You guys, you, I think it goes back to this idea of like what motivates like an attorney. An attorney is like the more hours he works on or he or she works on your case, uh, the more they can bill you. So we try and get the bones of the lease in the right place uh, before handing it over to a lawyer just to review to figure out, okay, are there any things that we missed uh, as we go through it? At the end of the day, it's English. <laughs> you know, there's legalese. Uh, but it's, you know, if you've read a few leases, I think you will get a general sense as to what they mean. Um, but again, community, rely on the people in your circle to, to be able to help you, like Tracy said. Well, you guys got a mini education, I think, looking at uh, four leases over the past year. So I, I that, that makes total sense. I didn't sense. really fall asleep about it, like, really, so <laughs> there's true. no way that I would be reviewing a lease on my own. Yeah. Um, a quick question yeah. about, you guys have mentioned being budget conscious and like looking specifically at spaces that you know will work in, within your budget. What are the things specifically, I think that's super helpful for our listeners that, that you are looking for that are checking those boxes for you? I think inevitably the thing that will consume most of your budget is actually like the the hard bones of a place, the mechanical, the engineering, and the plumbing, right? So um, I think the things that we are looking for is like, is there a grease trap? Like, is that going to be a total royal pain in the butt to put in? The answer is yes, and it's very expensive. Um, so we look for a grease trap. Uh, we look for... Uh, you know, plumbing that's generally up to code, uh, and we look for a place that has three-phase electrical. Um, full disclosure, the place we're looking at right now doesn't have three-phase electric, but it's not far uh, from us. So it would be relatively inexpensive to drag to us, but again, we don't have to put a grease trap into this place. So uh, that is a savings. Um, a lot of when we first started this project, I think we thought, okay, it's the FF&E that's really like the furniture, the uh, fixtures and the equipment that are really going to be the expensive part of it. But turns out it's really like, you know, a half, a third to half of your budget goes into just getting the bones of the place right. Uh, and that's stuff that no one will ever see, but you just have to do it uh, and you have to do it right. So um, that is where we try and kind of make sure that we're not going to get into any trouble. And that's where a general contractor is really helpful, who has experience working in restaurants. We've uh, done these walkthroughs with general contractors who haven't done as many restaurants. And restaurants are just a totally different game because they require engineers. You need uh, MEP engineers. You need structural engineers, et cetera. So that's been helpful. Sure. Uh, tell us, guys, before we sign off, um, next steps on this lease and and where you're hoping to be in, in a week, in, in a month, uh, time from now? So right now we're waiting to hear back that a, a specialist report, um, what it entails. And if let's say the place has a bit of asbestos in it, then we need to figure out the terms of abatement or removal of that asbestos and who pays for what. So that's just a part of the lease that we're negotiating. So since the landlords like to kind of move slowly and make sure they go one step at a time, 
Um, we just need to figure out the asbestos part and then all of the other sections of the lease and hopefully sign in a few weeks in a perfect world. What are some of the... Yeah, I think the... the Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask quickly, ahead, what are some ahead. of like the sticking pieces that you're still like working on? You mentioned the term length, like, is there, you know, what about like tenant improvement and any of those sort of um, attributes? Are you, are you still negotiating those or has that already been, been thought out? I think the terms they've been like generally very open to, I think you're right. I think like the, what the tenant improvements look like and if, uh, like what the equation looks like as far as how much they want to contribute is something that we're going to uh, have to dial in with them. Um, but, you know, for us, like one of the things that we um, try and sneak in there if we can is uh, the right to first refusals um, and the right of first offer on the property. So say they want to sell the property eventually, um, we would like the right to, to purchase the property because I think at the end of the day, like we have, um, you know, a, a sense, at least from our perspective, that the restaurant game is really a real estate game. And if you can figure out the real estate part of it, uh, as far as like even the right to purchase it at some point or the right to match an offer eventually, I think that uh, certainly helps add value to the lease, right? Like I think one of the things we think about a lot is, like, how do we gain value over a 20-year lease? Like, what what are the things that our investors would be really psyched about, and what are things that we would like to, to put in there to protect ourselves, uh, both in a best-case scenario and a worst-case scenario? So uh, we talk a lot about uh, limiting downside uh, and maximizing upside. And uh, I think, you know, the right to, to buy the property or match an offer that's made on the property um, is a really beneficial one and allows us a lot more flexibility if we're successful down the line. Yeah, that's super interesting. That's the American dream, right? Be your own landlord. Um, all right, well, I love it. No we, doubt. <laughs> we can't wait to hear what happens um, and catch up with you guys in a couple weeks, and hopefully you'll have a signed lease in hand. Thanks, guys. Good luck. All right, so that was our conversation with Tracy and Arjav back in January um, 21st. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back live to hear if they put pen to paper and signed a lease. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their own website, BentoBox provides full-service website design, digitally accessible solutions, SEO best practices, and best-in-class support. Plus, you can increase profits both in and out of your restaurant with online ordering, catering, gift cards, and events. BentoBox is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide, including Union Square Hospitality Group, The Meatball Shop, Suvla, Luke's Lobster, Lilia, Emmy Squared, Eleven Madison Park, and many more. With Bento Box, you can get every restaurant website feature you need and more, all in one place. Opening soon listeners get 50% off their new website setup fee at getbento.com slash opening soon. That is G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash opening soon. Okay, Tracy and Arjav, are you there? We are. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, guys. So are we popping bottles? Do we have something to celebrate? <laughs> we do have something to celebrate. Give us the, give us the skinny. We found a leaf. Yay, hey, Mazel Tov. That's so That's exciting. exciting. Cool. So give us all, give us all the yeah. details. Was there, in, yeah. Yeah. Tell us how the when, process what, went. How'd it go? 
Yeah, it's, it's crazy. We signed it uh, just over a week ago. Um, it still hasn't quite settled in. Um, but the process was relatively quick. Uh, we had a conversation with the landlord about the things we wanted. Um, they countered, and the counter was their best and final. So we didn't really have a chance to go back and forth with them. But uh, it was about as good as it could be, I think. And we were excited about it, and it's fine. Cool. So where, so the adventure began. So tell us, um, so you guys made an offer and then they came back and countered where, what did you, was there any concessions that you made? Where were some of the sticking points? Um, I think one of the, the big pieces that was important um, as we're thinking about starting up the restaurant is rent commitment. So we knew we didn't really want to pay rent day one. Um, so we negotiated the first few uh, months and not paying rent, and then the next few months paying a small percentage of the rent, the next few months paying a larger percentage of the rent, and then shifting into paying full. So that way we can keep that cash in the bank and put towards other items. So that was, I think, a big piece. Can you tell us? Yeah, so especially we have like 10 months of abated rent. So we have like three three months where we pay nothing, three months where we pay a third of the rent, and then three months where we pay two thirds of the full value of the rent. So that that's great. That's great. Do you have a, a projected idea of how how long you'll need for build out? Is that is is it those nine months, or will you be actually open during that time? No, we think it will take about nine months. Worst case scenario. So we, we said like let's set this up in a way to protect ourselves if we end up going nine months. Um, but the other trigger is this certificate of occupancy. So if we get it to this, you know, before nine months, we start paying rent then. So yeah, just to just to recap, it, it, some of the audio is a little bit hard. But so you're saying that um, if you guys do get open before that nine months, you'll immediately have to start paying the full rent because obviously your landlord wouldn't agree to that deal. Um, is that Correct. right? Yeah. Did you understand that? Okay. Cool. Um, t- and then tell us, tell us some more of the details. Tenant improvements are the, are they gonna you know spend some money to help you build this thing out? The asbestos inspection, I assume, went well. What else? Yeah, so it's just shockingly, there was no asbestos in this building from the 1940s. Amazing. Um, which was awesome. It was a huge win for us. Um, the deal is relatively simple, right? So we decided to go with a five-year lease, but we have two five-year tenant options. Um, so we were essentially there for 15 years. So you guys were looking before, um, you were the, hoping for 10 with two fives on top of it. And so you guys negotiated and, and reduced down to five. Is that because the landlord wouldn't right, give you yeah. a 10 or tell us, tell us what the change was there? Well, I think it was a couple of things, right? Like I think one, they were, they've had some bad luck with past tenants. So they said, if you guys can't get on your feet in the next five years, you have an option to get out rather than be committed for another five years, which was fine with us because I think overall, like being there for a long period of time is important and on our terms. So we get to be there on our terms as long as we want. Um, and I think part of it is also a trust thing with them. 
we trust them. I think they're very different than any other landlord we've worked with. Um, I can't believe I'm saying that I trust them, but I do. And that's a, that's a nice feeling. That's good. Yeah, I mean, we talked before that the relationship is super important. They're, they're not somebody that's going to disappear in six months when you get open. They're very much going to be there and, uh, you know, an integral part of your business for the next 15 years. Did you guys also, I know that you were um, very adamant about having a uh, right of refusal and, and stuff like that to be able to own the property or or such as that. Did, is that something that you got you kept in the lease? Um, we tried to take it in our didn't quite communicate there. We tried, and I think that was you know the best we could do. Uh, but rent is really like where you know, I think we talked about this in our last conversation. But for us, rent was really important, especially because it's in a neighborhood that's kind of up in county. Sure. Um, and I think it gives us enough time now to really establish ourselves in that place, which is exciting for us. No. And I know you. I know you. You have some uh, legal counsel within the family that has been giving you advice. Did you employ officially separate legal counsel before signing the lease, or did you go ahead and throw caution to the wind? Well, it's funny because we thought we were going to initially, and then pretty much the last dialogue with the landlord was. This was our final offer, and we were like, "Whoa, we thought we we'd have more back and forth opportunity." So what we ultimately did is we went to our opening budget and we crunched the numbers and said, can we make this happen with contingency um, so we're responsibly you know, opening the business and we can make the numbers work. And ultimately, it was a, a fair deal um, for this market. So we just, at that point, we were like, let's just do it. You know, it feels like we can afford it. It feels right. We like the people. We love the neighborhood. And we went for it. Cool. Yeah, we did. You know, Tracy's dad looked at the lease and said, "Like, there's nothing in here that's like scary." Or uh, we were indemnified the right way. So we felt good about doing for uh, overthinking. I think what you've been in places where you you can do the legal thing back and forth for months if you want to, you know. But I think at the end of the day, we thought the deal was a fair one and a good one for both us, the business. Uh, and our investors, and um, we felt comfortable moving forward. And we, you know, I think for us, like, I think I mentioned this last time, we read so many leases at this point that um, we felt good actually understanding what we were getting into. We just wanted to make sure there wasn't anything hidden. So uh, Tracy and Dad spent a couple hours looking at it. And, um, we felt good after that. It's good to- as far as TI goes, um, the only thing we got was the roof. Uh, everything else on the inside is pretty cosmetic, so we're not expecting to do too much on the inside. That's good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's helpful that you had, it's, you know, it, it's, it takes a village to uh, start businesses and raise families, so it's great that you had help there. And um, is there anything else that you guys had asked for that the landlord wouldn't budge on or anything that was surprising that came through at the last minute with them and their final offer? You know, that's a good question. I think the thing that kept surprising me was how simple the process was after, like, having gone through this, like, complicated process the last four times. I think it was helpful for them to say, hey, this is our best and final to some degree, as much as I didn't want to hear that. 
use before that without any sort of end in sight. Uh, and I think, you know, I think it was really nice to have this whole process last a month and a half uh, from the time like we, you know, really sat down to negotiate the needs to like sign really. That all makes sense. Tracy, tell us, I guess, where, what happens immediately after pen goes to paper? Tell us, the, you know, do you run off and get the keys and start immediately building? Is there some lag time in the middle? What what happens? So right before we signed the lease and we knew we were going to sign the lease um, and we were going to accept that offer, um, we reached out to an architect who we had spoken with with other projects and right now we're waiting for um, him to do the as-builds, like the initial sketches of the place, which is going to happen tomorrow. So we're excited about that. And then once they get um, all of the drawings done, then we'll bid that out to general contractors um, and then start the construction process, have a roadmap, and open this restaurant. Super exciting. I feel like I feel like it's it's so exciting and there's so much – energy and and uh emotion that goes into getting the leases and signing that lease is you know a big part of saying that this is actually going to happen and then once it's done now you've got this race to get there before before the rent really kicks in right so you're on a nine month you know race to get everything accomplished it's you've got a lot ahead of you yeah did you go in there already with sledgehammers and start demoing are you that excited <laughs> We go every day. We funny. We we park our car outside, just look at it, take photos, and kind of dream about it, and do sketches. And um, you know, there's a part of this that is romantic, and it's important to remember that, like, we got into this really like 15 years ago or 20 years ago when we first like started dreaming about having our own place. And it's important to enjoy this for a week or so because you only sign a lease on your first project once. That is so we very keep reminding true. ourselves to breathe and enjoy it because it's special. Yeah, that's very true. You're savoring it. I like that. So is there, I know you guys have been um, really thoughtful about the budget planning and making sure, you know, doing a lot of analysis about whether or not, you know, what, what square footage is going to work for you. Is there anything that came up with the negotiations that you're like, okay, this might have a budget impact, you know, that you said that they did the roof, but was there something else that you were looking for? Are you, are you guys still feeling good about the initial budget set forth? I think we'll have a better idea once we start getting uh, firm quotes from general contractors. Uh, we, we had walked this space with an architect and um, a general contractor who builds small restaurants and is budget aware um, in Austin. And he gave us a rough idea of what it could cost and was kind of, he didn't paint a pretty picture, I'll say. He talked about <laughs> everything that could possibly go wrong. Uh, which we appreciated because it's better to know earlier on what your hurdles could be than to get there and then to have all of these emergencies popping up that you can't really afford. Um, so we'll we'll have a better idea about, you know, everything it's going to cost to open once we get those bids. Um, but at least we feel good knowing we have an idea of what that looks like from that contractor. Yeah. How many contractors are you guys going out for? Are you just sort of taking recommendations from friends and how are you finding them? Yeah, it's um, mostly through friends in town. Um, I work at a restaurant called Olamay and 
Michael Fotage, the chef there, has been really helpful in sort of connecting us with names uh, in town. Um, I'm also working on a bar project with a couple friends. And, um, they have been in the bar scene here for a long time, so have a bunch of connections with contractors and architects, and that part has been really helpful. I will say Austin is an incredible community, and they've been so open about sharing and um, welcoming us in that way. And I think uh, we're really lucky to be part of a community here where um, people don't really think of competition in the way that, you know, some restaurant cities uh, think about competition. It's really inclusive, and uh, people are really more than happy to help with as much as they can whenever they can. Have you guys gotten some feedback from the neighborhood? You know, I, I know that your concept is very neighborhood centric and very involved with the people that that you're going to be in in locale with. Um, now that the sign is out, out of the windows, have you gotten any immediate feedback? Um, not yet. I think we're trying to keep it as quiet as possible, as long as possible. Um, I think we don't want, you know, I think this concept is going to continue to evolve over the next nine months as we get a better sense of space and how things are going to lay, be laid out. And, uh, and we better get to understand the neighborhood, you know. So um, I think for the moment we're trying to fly under the radar a little bit. You guys are on um, national radio talking about the new restaurant. <laughs> You're not under the radar. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. I was going <laughs> to ask you your address, but I don't know now. Word is out. I, uh, I personally yeah, think it's a good idea to start. Yeah. I'm sorry, what was that? I said we're on East 12th Street. <laughs> East 12th Street in Austin. Uh, Awesome. Has yeah. while while you guys have been waiting, and now that you do have the final space, has um, has anything changed in terms of the concept or things that you wanted to do, or you know that maybe you know the space won't allow or anything like that? Um, I definitely think that being in the space, um, especially thinking about the menu um, and how we want people to interact with the space, um, just physically knowing we're going to be there, that's helped sculpt kind of where the menu's going um, and kind of the kind of place we really want to have. Um, so just having that concrete locale, I think, is really important creatively. Um, so I, I feel like a, we've gained a new confidence, especially as I'm, like, sketching out menus and starting on some R&D food items. So just definitely having the space set because if I was in a different space, you know, might want to cook different food. So I just think wrapping my head around exactly what it is and knowing we have it has just been really comforting. Yeah. And tell us some of the details about the actual space. Like how many seats are you getting? Are you going to be able to have outside seating? Is there any concerns with like a liquor license? Yeah. So it's about 1,300 square feet inside with a pretty sprawling backyard. Um, it is. It shares a wall with a Baptist church, um, which is super quirky and unique. And um, it, the, our landlord happens to be the minister of the Baptist church. And um, you know, at first that was kind of a concern as far as getting a beer and wine license. But he has made it very clear that he'll do everything in his power to make sure that that is not an issue. Is there any uh, legal? So, are there any legal hurdles in Austin? law that would prohibit that from because i know in new york you know there's it's mm -hmm. a challenge to get anything close to a church or school is there anything in in austin like that or it can be there's but as long as the church signs off on it you're good and did you put so, any were you uh, able to get any sort of 
um, clause in the lease that, that stipulates, you know, the ability to opt out if, if you're not able to get a beer and wine license, or are you committed regardless? We're committed regardless, but it's also not like central to our business plan because uh, I mean we're a daytime concept. You know, I think you like the idea of serving beer and wine, but it's not central to uh, our business plan in any way. I mean, in in some cases, I would say you've you've got a built-in clientele right there too. So <laughs> right? yeah, with your churchgoers, <laughs> like totally. Sunday brunch, Sunday brunch, brunch. Would be crushing. Yeah, <laughs> probably for catering too. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's not that's kind of a cool thing. Were there any, you know, I asked about the liquor license, but were there any other things that you were able to get in the lease that were um, contingencies should you not be able to achieve that you would have a reason to get out? No, I think, like, we we felt pretty confident that, like, we did our homework ahead of time. The asbestos was the big thing. Like, I think that would have been the deal breaker, essentially, if there was a crazy amount of asbestos. Right. Um, but that that was our that was our opt out essentially. But um, we were lucky that there's none. Um, so yeah, I think you know with any lease there's risk, and we really won't know what we have till we start like peeling back the layers a little bit. But um, my advice to listeners is do as much diligence as you can, but don't also overthink the problem. I think. Inevitably, when you first start out this process, it's easy to kind of overthink everything and want to make sure that you've covered all your bases. But um, I think there's a comfort in knowing that you can never really cover all your bases. You just have to kind of trust um, your instincts, your numbers, and your team. And if you build a good team, I think everything else becomes a whole lot easier. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so happy that you guys found a home somewhere on East 12th Street in Austin, Texas, after five tough lease <laughs> negotiations. Congrats. We're only yeah three episodes in and our first on-air success story. So yeah, we're, we're super excited, stoked for you guys. you guys. Yeah, well, we can't keep... And feel free to share our info. Like, if we can help anybody through this process, and anybody wants to talk, we've, we've been so lucky to have a community that's opened their doors to us. Um, feel free to like reach out to us via Instagram, whatever, and we're happy to uh, hop on a phone call and help anybody in, in any way we can. Yeah, you'll definitely get some DMs after this episode. I think <laughs> previous guests definitely do. So that's really generous and kind of you to offer. And I know the community really appreciates it. Um, speaking of communities, is there this is time for our opening soon announcements. Um, so is there anybody you guys want to shout out? Anybody you know who's opening in the coming weeks or maybe just opened? I definitely want to give a shout out to Rolos in New York. Um, good friends of ours uh, from Gramercy who are in the final stages of opening um, a restaurant uh, in New York. So keep your eyes peeled for Rolos, some of the most talented people we've ever worked with. Cool. Where is it? Uh, in Ridgewood. Ridgewood, Ridgewood Brooklyn. Cool. All right. We will hit that up. Cool. Um, keep your eyes peeled for those guys. They're real smart and uh, Paul Wessel Charcuterie is the best I've ever had in my life. Love it. All right. Um, I want to shout out opening soon listener and chef Ross Henke from Chicago, who is opening Mondano in Chicago on 
February 24th. Um, so good luck, Ross. We're so excited to see what you do. And also in Chicago, the crew from Giant opened their small plates and bar chef special, and they'll actually be on the season later talking about the hiring process. So we're excited to see um, how it all shook out for them. And for any friends who will be in Philadelphia on the 30th, on the 1st of March, um, Alex and I will be doing a live recording of opening soon at the Philly Chef Conference. We'll be interviewing Enrique Lamardo from Seven Seasons in DC Live. So please join us. You can get tickets on Resi and the whole lineup at Philly Chef Conference is super, super amazing. They do such a great job. So definitely check that out as well. Yep. And thanks and congrats, Tracy and Arjev. We're super excited for you guys. Uh, We'll put a wrap-up of today's show on tilda.myc.com. We'll also send one to your inbox. So if you're not on our email list, then get on it now. Uh, How do we find you guys on Instagram? It's Birdies. Tell us. Birdies Austin. Birdies Austin. And your personal IGs in case people do want to DM you. Uh, My full name, Arjev and I'm Tracy Malachek. Tracy Malachek. We'll put them on the uh, blog as well. So if uh, if you need help on that, then you can check our site. Um, if you liked our episode today about lease negotiations, which I hope you should because it was a success, uh, then tune in next week on the 25th as we talk about building permits with Julia Jaksik in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, make sure you follow our journey on Heritage Radio. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at We Are Opening Soon and at Till at NYC. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Congrats again. Thanks, y'all. Opening Soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.